Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. How are we doing this morning? As you can see, God has already been jacking me up. If you know me, you'll know this is normal. <laughs> um, can I be transparent? <laughs> it was hard to get out of bed this morning. And this isn't the first morning that it's been like that for me. It was really hard to get out of bed this morning. And all week I was like, I got to preach. And it's always humbling and it's an honor to like give the word of God or whatever. Like I take this really seriously because like PJ said, this is life. This is your soul. This is my soul. And this is guidance for it. So I don't, I don't take that little. I don't, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, God, I, I feel a little too broken this week to say anything. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I feel a little too broken to parent. I feel a little too broken to be the husband I need to be to my wife. And I've gone through different things growing up um, that one day I think I'll share, but uh, it's really done a number on my mind and on my emotions. And it's a fight to be stable. Does anyone else feel that? It's a fight to be stable. And I find myself questioning, like, who I really am. And I know God loves me, but it's like, Staying in that place is hard sometimes because of things people have said about me or over me or behind my back or things that I say internally to myself. And I fed that narrative for years that I was not enough. I was just laying there in bed. I was like, God, I'm too... I'm too broken. I don't have it to give. And do you know what got me out of bed? It was you. Because I knew that Jared would be here. I knew that Susan would be here. I knew Molly and Eric would be here. It's really hard to see y'all. I'm just like going by faith and I'm saying the right names with the right faces. I knew Abby and Josh would be here, right? I knew Christian would be here. I knew Dwayne and Tip. Like I knew Kelly. I knew y'all would be here. And I loved you too much to stay in bed. There was something in me that was stirring Deeper than my anxiety, it was stirring deeper than my brokenness when I thought about you, when I thought about your families, when I thought about your marriages, when I thought about the things people have done to you that nobody knows about, and it, and it hurts every day, and you're trying to process it. When I thought about all the weight that you carry, I just, I loved you, and I was like, I got to get up, I got to get dressed, I got to put something on. 
And I got to speak what God is telling me to speak because I don't know what God wants to do for you today. And I loved you too much to miss out on that. And I was sitting over there and I thought about, or not even me, but the Holy Spirit brought me back to this verse, Isaiah 53, 5. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. And is it possible, y'all, that God actually wants to use your broken places to bring someone else healing? And we're so busy trying to be perfect and be fixed and whole. And yes, we want to have that progression in our faith where God is healing us and we become whole. But, but we have this version of ourselves that is already perfect. And there's such a gap between that image that we have in our head of who we're supposed to be and who we actually are. And then we disqualify ourselves. But is it possible that God wants to use the very parts of you that are weak, that are unsure, that are fearful, that are nervous and broken. And those are the very areas in your life that will show his grace. And so I got up this morning because I realized I'm the exact type of person he wants to use. And I'm here to tell you that you're the exact type of person that he wants to use. You wouldn't be the first. Half of the heroes of the faith were murderers, adulterers. They cheated, they lied. David himself, who was all those things, and yet at the same time, God says, this is a man after my own heart. It's that tension that we live in between God, I'm, I'm not enough, and his response is, you're right. Isn't it weird? God, I'm broken, and he says, I know. God, I don't have it all together. My mind is scattered. I don't even know what these people are going to hear today because I have my notes, but my mind is not here. And he's like, I know. That's why I chose you. Because you're not the only one going through it. And it is in our weakness that is strength is made perfect. And so my whole motivation for being here is because there was something restless in me that loved you too much to stay home. That somehow God could use my wounds in the same way. It's, it's just crazy to me that, like, it was his wounds that healed us. So I'm starting to have a different perspective on my wounds. That you're such a good and gracious and powerful and sovereign God that you could even use my wounds to bring healing to somebody else. You are why I got up today. You are why Jesus went to the cross. And to give you language for that, that word is compassion. 
which I think is so lacking in our world today. We're in a series, Live Like Jesus. And what I feel God saying is to really live like Jesus, to live like me, you have to have a restless compassion. A love that won't sit still. A love that can't wait another second, that can't wait another minute. That is stirring so deep inside of you, you have to take action on it. And we see this in Matthew 14. I never really caught this before, but so Jesus and uh, John the Baptist, John the Baptist, they were, they were cousins. They were family. And John the Baptist is the one that's out in the wilderness eating crickets and, and grasshoppers and stuff. And, and he's preparing the way of the Lord. He's preparing the way for the Messiah to come, right? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is coming. Jesus is coming. He's that guy. Jesus arrives. He's doing his thing. And Herod at the time, who was kind of like the governor, I'm just trying to make it simple, not even for you, like for me. Because <laughs> you know in the Bible when you read, and you're like, what are they talking about? He was a governor. And him and his wife, they did some shady stuff. It was real ratchet. He basically divorced his wife illegally, seduced his brother's wife, and then married her. Yeah, it was some ratchet stuff going on in the Bible. And John the Baptist is speaking out against it. And he's like, y'all are nasty. What the devil? And he's being very open and verbal and like, this is wicked. This is evil. And so his new wife, which was his brother's old wife, <laughs> didn't take too kindly to that. Ticked her off. She wanted him dead. So she does this whole plan or whatever. You can see it in Matthew 14, but she concocts this plan and basically ends up having him beheaded. So John is brutally murdered for speaking the truth. And so news gets back to Jesus, and it says, Jesus, let's actually go to, yeah, 13, Matthew 14, 13. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the news about John the Baptist, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone, but the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Can you imagine you get that phone call, that dreaded phone call, that somebody you love so dearly, not even passed away, was brutally murdered? And you're trying to get away just to take a minute to yourself, to grieve. And on your way to grieve, your phone is blowing up. People are FaceTiming you. Hey, I need you. Can you, can you meet up? I had a hard week this week. Crowds followed Jesus. They found out where he was, and they tried to get to him in the middle of his grief. What happens when people interrupt your alone time? When you had that long day at work, it ain't pretty sometimes, right? And you come home, and you're tired, and you're exhausted. And you can tell your spouse wants a little bit of attention. And you're like, it's not that I don't want to give it to you, but I'm tired as death. 
And I just feel like, can I have a moment? And your kids, mommy, 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 mommy. And you're like, if I could just, please. <laughs> Y'all could function without me for five minutes, right? What happens when you want that time alone, that minute to breathe? Anybody that's been like in ministry knows what I'm talking about as well, where it's just 24-7, and it's like your heart is to serve. But what happens when you're tired? Leadership in general, as a boss, as a CEO, as a, like leadership in general, you're exhausted and you're tired. You're not sure which direction to take, and yet everyone's demanding an answer from you. And you just need a minute. And yet the crowd seemed to catch up. What would our human response be in Jesus' scenario? I know what mine would be. <laughs> I'm going to catch y'all tomorrow, depending on the situation, maybe next month. My cousin just died. I'm grieving. I'm hurting. What do you possibly need right now that is more than what I need? I'll see y'all in a minute. And yet, we look at Jesus' response. And it says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And what does it say? And he had, he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. In the middle of him grieving in the middle of him hurting, in the middle of him trying to collect his thoughts and get his life together for a second. He had every reason to send them home. But when he saw the condition, when he saw their state that they were in, he loved them too much to sit still on it. And he said, I have to do something. Even though I'm wounded, so are they. And it says he had compassion on the crowds. And think about that. In the middle of him being wounded, he healed the sick. That's love. What kind of compassion, what kind of love would cause you to put somebody's needs over your own? That is not natural to us, my fellow humans. It's just not natural to us. It's not intuitive. We need a supernatural love, something that supersedes what is natural to us, to be able to look at someone else's condition, look at our own, and say, I can wait. I can wait. What I see right now, it's, it's stirring too deeply in me. I can handle this in a minute. What do you need? That's love. And I think when we hear the word compassion, it's so watered down now. And even our expression of it is watered down than the original meaning. And I'll give you an example. The classic phrase, especially if you grew up in church as a Christian or whatever, and you hear that phrase, I'll be praying for you. Uh-oh. I guess some other people have been in that experience. I've been guilty of it myself. 
someone kind of pours out their life or they're sharing, and you're like, yo, I'm trying to go to the grocery store real quick. I got to get stuff. You know, I'm about to work out. I was hitting one life up. You messing with my routine. What in the devil? This went from a, hey, how you doing, to like a whole Oprah session. Like, <laughs> it's supposed to be a real quick situation. And an hour later, I'm finding out about your auntie and your cousins and your, you know, what they did yesterday. I was not looking for that today. And so at the end of all that, what do we say? I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you, sis. And we do that. We're good at it, too. We get the face. I'll be praying for you, sis. Hey, y'all, I'll be there in a second. I'm sorry. I got held up. I got you, dog. I'm praying for you, bro. Put the fist in the group chat. Do we actually pray? Like, it's so crazy. And I'm talking about myself. I had to really think about that. So it's watered down. And that is our version of compassion. Is that I loved you enough just to kind of let you know, like, I'm listening. I'll pray for you. And I don't actually do it. We like to project compassion. We like to project an image that we care. So we look like caring people. But when it comes to the hard work of sitting with somebody, it's a whole nother thing. What do you do when the crowds catch up to you? Oftentimes we only care when it's trendy or when it's cool to care. When it's at the top of our news feed and we're excited and we're like, yeah, this is we need to be passionate about this. Yeah. And then when, when the voices die down and the culture moves on to the next thing, to the next people group, to the next event, our love is so fluid. Our compassion is so fickle. We care when it's trending and we stop when it's not. I'm about to give y'all the weirdest. <laughs> Object lesson. It's probably in the history of, of my preaching. But this is what I think of when I think of compassion. Have you ever had the bubble guts? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, when there's something, you know, if you ate something, you had that taco, whatever you had, that Taco Bell, and it, you know, y'all, you start feeling that right there. And I'm telling you, you could be in the middle of a conversation. And the moment that thing hits, I don't know what you're saying. I don't remember my name. Everything starts to black out. I need to find some facilities and rectify the situation. I can't think straight. Am I the only one? Y'all know y'all done had the bubble guts and been like, I got to go. Like, I got to get, I got to get rid of this. It almost hurts. And I know that's weird and funny. But biblically, do you know that's actually what compassion means? Literally, it talks about, like, they believed the heart was in the bowels. In the seed of the bowels, that's where your heart was. That thing in you that was, that was always moving and stirring and restless. That's what compassion means. That there's something in me that is bubbling up so intense, I cannot sit still. I can't even focus. I can't even think straight. 
until I make that phone call and check in on so-and-so. I can't even, I don't even know where I'm at. I got to do something about this. When I see injustice in my city, in my world, I can't, I have to educate myself. I got to start reading articles. I got to start having conversations with people that are different than me, that think differently. Because I have to be part of this. I have to do something. I can't just see you on the street with no, no food, no place to go, no shelter, and just keep driving to my destination. I have to do something. When I look systemically and I see there's these issues that are systemic, that not everybody has the same access, not everybody has the same privileges across the board. Housing, education, fill in the blank. And specifically with our nation, how broken our history is. I have to do something. I have to be part of the ministry of reconciliation that the Bible talks about. Because if I sit still, it'll hurt. It will hurt too much just to sit on it. Restless compassion. If we're going to live like Jesus... Jesus had a restless compassion for, the, for him to be in the middle of grieving, y'all. I'm still there. Like, to be in the middle of grieving and to look at the crowds, thousands of people, not just 10 or 20. We're talking about thousands of people caught up to him. And there was something in him moving so deep. He said, I have to heal the sick. I have to be with them. I can't sit on this. I can't wait another minute. This is not what our world needs. Is this not what your family needs? Is this not what your marriage needs? Is this not what your friendships, your relationships, what your coworkers need? Is somebody that can take the hit. Somebody that can say, I'll go first. I'll forgive first. even though you really don't deserve this. I've been forgiven of so much that I'll go first, and I will release you of the debt that you owe me that you could never pay back, because that's what Christ did for me. There's something in me that is so restless and stirring that I can't not forgive you, because I've been loved too deeply. I'll be patient first. I had somewhere to go. I had something to do. You're really getting on my nerves, but I will be patient. I'll be patient first because there's something bubbling up so deep in me when I think about how patient God has been with me in my process, stuff that I'm still dealing with and the cycles that I'm on, and yet he doesn't cast me aside, and he says, let's try again. Let's train again. I have to do that for you. Because he's done it for me. To live like Jesus, we have to have a restless compassion. So often we complain about how broken things are, right? How broken our society is. Or even maybe on a a microscopic level, right? How broken my friendships are, my marriages, my relationship, whatever. I hate my job. My boss is the worst. These coworkers are dumb. Not at life. I love my boss. I love my boss and my coworkers at Lifehouse. I'm, you know, talking in general. Other people may feel that. <laughs> other people may feel that. 
Uh, it's the last Sunday I'm going to be able to preach, y'all. It's been fun. But we complain so much, don't we, about how broken everything is. But to me, that means that there should be something in us that is always stirring and anxious to take action. Because if we're complaining, that means we see the problem. So the difference between complaining and compassion is really your response and your perspective. Because if you understand that there's a reason why I see this, it's God that I see these issues. But it's not meant for me to complain. It's meant to stir something in my spirit. Because I'm the one that's supposed to take action and be part of the solution. Complaints that don't turn into compassion are missed opportunities to walk in your calling. Let's say that one more time. Complaints that don't turn into compassion are missed opportunities to walk in your calling. Where do we see that in Scripture? Matthew 5, 13 and 14. It says what? You are the what? You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Where is my big sis at? We talk about this all the time. I hate fries with no salt. If I go somewhere and you did not put salt on those fries, like why did you come into work today? You know what I'm saying? I hate and no shade to my people that, you know, I worked in food as well. But when I worked in food, I made sure the food was right. I'm just saying. That's a way to show compassion. Put salt on my fries. Because it's bland. You might as well just throw it out. Right? But you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. What good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the what? The light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. I think God woke me up today and brought me out of bed to tell you, you are what the world needs. You are what your wife needs. You are what your husband needs. You are what your children need. You are what your parent needs. You are what your community needs. You are what your coworkers need. Fill in the blank. Because you are the salt. You are the light. And so what we find is compassion is way more than just feeling bad for someone. I think that's what we've limited it to. It's more than sympathy. It's more than just feeling bad for somebody's situation. Compassion is recognizing I am part of the solution. And if I walk away there is no guarantee the person will get what they needed. How do I know that? Because time is a commodity that we cannot take for granted. And especially, I think, in like the younger generation, we think we'll live forever. But it's just not the case. 
You don't know how much time you have. You don't know how much time your family member has. You don't know how much time that friend has. Anything could happen. And I don't, I don't say that to put like a spirit of fear, but an awareness. Because there's something healthy about that awareness to recognize I don't know how much time I have to be me. And wouldn't it be a shame to get to the end of my life and I spent the time that I had trying to be something else or somebody else or not recognizing the gifts and talents that God has given me that could have brought healing to somebody, that could have helped somebody become more stable, that could have helped somebody become more secure to find their purpose. And I wasted it because I thought I had more time. That's compassion. That's that urgency is recognizing that there is no guarantee when this person walks away from me in this moment that they have another moment. And so we look back in Matthew 14, starting at verse 15. It says, that evening the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. Y'all, this is so us. This is a remote place, and it's already getting late, Jesus. We've been here all day. Send the crowds away, right? Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. And we can look at them like, y'all, that's, that's trifling, y'all, but do we not do that? Jesus, we have been out here all daggone day. It is nighttime. I know they're hungry. But they have homes. They can go home, get the frying pan out, you know what I'm saying? Open the microwave, put a hot pocket in there, do what you got to do. Just go home and handle your, they can eat, they can feed themselves. We got stuff to do. But Jesus said in verse 16, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Jesus was so petty. And this is like the way his approach was like, that's not necessary. You feed them. And I feel the Spirit saying that to us this morning. Yeah, they could go somewhere else, but that's not necessary. They could talk to somebody else. They could call someone else. They could text someone else. I could have put you in any other city. I could have put you in any other place, but that's not necessary. You feed them. You go there. Then they say, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Is this story starting to sound familiar to some of us? But we only have, I never connected the two, but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And he said, bring them here. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them, then breaking the loaves into pieces. He gave the bread to the disciples who distributed to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of what? Leftovers. About 5,000 men, just men is in that count. 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. There were more 
probably double. There were more than 5,000 people, and there were leftovers. And that's what I'm here to tell you, is that if you give God what you have, he will take that, and he will multiply it and do more than you could even think or imagine and reach more people than you even thought you could reach. But it starts with the yes. It starts with the holy bubble guts. <laughs> that restlessness inside of you saying, I may not have much, like my sis Andrea said, I may not have much, but what I have, God, I give it. What I have, I give it, even if it's my brokenness. Even if it's my weakness, even if it's my story, I give it because he is the great multiplier. And he takes what we give. He takes what we have to offer. And what seems scarce turned into leftovers. You feed them. Why wait if you have it? Why send somebody away where they could get it now with you? And especially when you think about how people have done that for you. Probably everyone in this room has had that encounter. Whether you're in the faith or even not in the faith, like just in general, like there are people that have probably came alongside of you and said, I got you. I'll take care of that. Or they took time to listen. Remember what that felt like. And the fact that we have the opportunity to be that for somebody else. This is what it's like to live like Jesus. It is to have a restless compassion. So let's get practical with it. How are we going to put this into practice this week? Because I think sometimes we can hear a message and it, it feels right, it sounds good, it feels good, and it's like, oh, that's powerful. And then we get home and then life kicks in, right? We get back into our rhythm and we're like, what did he say about such and such? Something about the bubble guts? I'm like, fart like Jesus or something, <laughs> you know? And we're trying to figure out or we're just trying to think through, I kind of get it, but I don't know like how to apply it. Have you ever felt that? I don't know, like, what my next step is. So three things, because I'm a preacher, and I guess, like, that's what we do. But the first thing, start with what moves you now and do something about it. It's that simple. I think we all have that thing. Like, there's something that when you see someone who is homeless, it's like, I, I, I have to do something. It breaks my heart. When you see kids that don't have access to quality education, or you're looking at your students and it's like, you understand like the home that they're facing and their family situation, and it's like somebody has to be there. Or you see someone growing up and it's like, I feel like they just need a big brother, they need a big sister, a mentor. I can't stand to see people hungry. I can't take it. I don't wanna see anyone in the world going hungry. I think we all have that thing where it triggers something in us. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, something about this isn't right. 
and someone has to do something. The moment you think that someone has to do something, you feed them. So whatever that is, whatever that thing is that moves you, that stirs something, even if it's not super intense, but it's that little thing and you're like, hmm, something's got to be done about this. Then take an action step on it. Research an organization. See in our city, like, who's doing something about it now? Call them up. Donate. See how you can donate your time, your money, your volunteer hours. What moves you now? And then just take one step toward doing something about it and being part of the solution. Does that make sense? Is that helpful to anybody? Second thing, choose someone over yourself. You will have plenty of opportunities to do that this week and for the rest of your life. Just simply choose someone over yourself, that person that cuts you off in traffic and you want to start speaking in other tongues. <laughs> Take that moment to say, I don't know what their day is like. I don't know what they're going through. They could just be a jerk. That's possible as well, but that's another reason to pray. And just take a second that where I would have just blah, 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 and, you know, blah, 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 I'm going to pray. When you get home and it's been a long day, take that moment to just put your spouse over yourself. Hey, babe, is there anything I could do? How you feeling today? When your coworker is like, you know, take a moment, just choose to put someone over yourself. And then lastly, I would say, and worship team, you can come up. Embrace Jesus' love for you. Because it is hard to give what you have not received yourself. Wherever you're at on the spectrum of your journey. And maybe today is that, that first day for you where you're sitting there and you're like, I get it, this sounds good. but I haven't really experienced that type of love in my own life. And I want to invite you into this because this is your story too. That scripture in Isaiah 53, 5, when it says he was wounded so that we would be healed, it was for you as well. If you don't really know Jesus, maybe you kind of know about him. You've heard some things about him. You're kind of curious, you're kind of interested, but you don't really know what it means to follow him or why would I follow him? What difference does he really make? Let me tell you right now, my life is a witness to that. He is why I got up this morning. He has been my peace when my mind is going crazy and it feels like a circus. And simply just stepping into his presence. And when I say that, just engaging with him and saying, God, I need you right now in this moment. And can I tell you, he's been faithful to answer every time. Everything my soul needs is what he promises to be. And he's proven himself over and over and over. And it says, God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not die an eternal death separated from him but instead would live forever in relationship with him. Why does this matter? Because you came from somewhere. 
You didn't randomly just appear. You have a creator. Somebody made you. Scripture even lets us know that. In Psalm 139, I think 14, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You have a creator, which means you have a purpose. And this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to say yes to him. If you ever heard that phrase, to give him your heart, it's just to acknowledge that he made it. To say, God, you made my heart, you made my mind, you made my emotions, you made everything I am. And I cannot have any form of life and peace and joy without you. Because you're the one who made me. So if that's you today, if we could just bow our heads, close our eyes. And you're like, I, I want to say yes to this. I want to say yes to this life in Jesus. I want to know who I am. If he really made me, then I want to know who I am. I want to experience and embrace this love that he offers so freely. This love that changes. This love that heals. This love that can lift the burden of all the things that I carry on a day-to-day basis. If there really is a God that would love me that much, I want to know him more. Because so far, this ain't been working for me, living life the way I've been living. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at LifehouseNN.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at LifehouseOnline.com or in person for a live worship service at 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. at the Kiln Creek Regal Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit LifehouseNN.com for more information or to RSVP for a live service.